0: We're gonna do our vocal exercises next time. La la la. <laughs> she sells seashells by the seashore.
1: Welcome to Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and
0: bad advice that stop growth. Dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Avermescu. Oh my gosh, I'm realizing that we don't know what national day of it is.
1: Oh my gosh, well we've got to look that
0: up, right? We now. have just made the most grievous error that we've ever made on this podcast. Oh, today is Brazilian Blowout Day. Oh. It's also National Spumoni Day. So, you know, whether you'd prefer a Brazilian <laughs> blowout or a National Spumoni. Well, I guess just a regular Spumoni. It doesn't have to be a national Spumoni. You are good to go. Now, I love a good Spumoni. I have to say that. I love a good Brazilian blowout.
1: I don't really want to know what that is, but let's just say it's Spumoni Day and move on, right? It's not
0: what it sounds like. All right, cool. (laughs) All right. All right, let's get into it. Red alert. Your CEO wants to start a certification program for your company, and she's asking you to stand it up ASAP. What do you do now? Certifications can become a huge pillar of customer education program, but they can
1: also be pretty daunting to think about, don't you think? I do think. How do you think, Adam, about building the right certification program for your business?
0: Well, this is what we're going to talk about today in this episode. That's right, Dave. And I think this is one of the areas that is most laden with myths and misconceptions. When it comes to certifications, there are a lot of them out there. There's a lot of... uh good information, but uh, probably an equal, if not a greater amount of bad information. So we'll try to tackle this one hypothesis by hypothesis. And let's maybe start with one around, uh, you know, at a higher level, what's the business value behind certification programs?
1: I think that's a really great place to start. And you you and I and others that are listening in know, this whole certification, uh, let's call it an onion, you know, vis-a-vis Shrek, It's, it's onions, it's layers. Uh, there's a lot to think about so starting with business value i think is probably the number one because we're going to talk money right um by tackling the business value of a certification program when you're you're first asked to build this out when you first asked or tasked with building a certification program you might start off first by looking at what other companies are
0: doing for their certification programs incredibly common way to start dave i agree and and it's a fair place to start because you want to see what format they're using what they mm-hmm. offer in terms of prep courses and exams what formats they offer certification courses and exams in what they're charging and, and so on if you're just starting a certification for the first time you really want to know what other people are doing so you can uh, either model your program after that or make it competitive with the ones that you see out in the market and So you might be tempted to really just model after another certification program that you see out in the wild. But if your hypothesis is, I should design my certification program based on how my peer companies do it, Mm -hmm. hmm. what do you think, Dave?
1: I think we can say that this hypothesis is proven false. And here's why. You know, we go back to this unicorn thing. Every company is different. Each company makes different assumptions about how to set up certification programs. And that's going to be based upon the business rationale for having such a program.
0: Yeah. What, what do you think are some of the major rationales? What are the reasons that you can think of for having a certification program?
1: Well, you know, just kind of off the top of my head, what, what I'm thinking of is, on one hand, it's about qualifying people to use a company's product. You know, I work at OutreachNet right now, and I would love to have people who are certified outreach users in one capacity or another. Uh, you might also be qualifying a partner, right? A partner is someone who ideally you want to go off and bless as, hey, this person knows everything that I know, they're they're proxying as me, and we want them to be able to service or deliver services on our behalf. So. You don't want people using complex products without proving first that they know how to use them. And as an example, let's think, oh gosh, Salesforce, right? Most Salesforce admins have some sort of certification from Salesforce that helps them prove that they can do the job. Let me give you a couple other examples. It's not just only our market, the SaaS-based market. Uh, but one good example would be Tableau. Tableau has an amazing program for certification. You can think of, of any number of certifications for you know those higher end SaaS platforms. But then think Google. Google has their uh, certified professional cloud architect. You might have Amazon's AWS certified solutions architects. And so there's a lot of stuff out there that companies are offering these because they're big, audacious, large packages. And you just wanna don't want to send somebody out with just a little bit of training. You want them and you want to know that they get the best practices.
0: Yeah, I agree. The more complex the product is or the more technical it is, the more that there's going to be some risk around someone using it improperly, or or really the more that it's necessary just to to give people a good way of, of building the skills that they need to be proficient in using it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And I, I see you have some uh some figures here as well about uh, what what a person who has these certifications can uh, can haul in you want to talk about that
1: yeah I, th- I thought that was interesting as I was doing my research and we always do a research uh, or try to it, just to give you an idea and and I recall when I was at Gainsight we started to thinking seriously about an admin certification how how do you bring somebody up with a complicated sophisticated platform and what does that do for them what's the what's the with them right what's in it for me well just think about this. Google's uh, cloud architect uh, certification, for example, you're seeing a correlation uh, of salary income with that kind of certification. So you could see people making in the, you know, roughly about $140,000 a year on average across the nation. For AWS certified solution architects, it could be about 132. And I listed one more in there that's not a tech cert, it's the PMP. The project management professional cert that a lot of project managers are, are prone to get can net you you know, somewhere in the 130, 135 range. So that's nothing to shake a stick at, that these certifications can translate at a certain degree of scale. When everybody has them, it can be meaningful to your salary.
0: Yeah, and and we'll come back to this, but I think there's a lot of value in offering certifications when they have a tie to your professional credentials or when they really signal something to the market about your skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not necessarily the case for everyone. So if you're just looking at programs where really the output is by getting certified, I can perform a very specific job like the PMP or um, by getting certified, I can use this highly technical product like the AWS certification. Uh, you might be building your program upon some false assumptions if that doesn't also apply to you. So, you know, for for all of those certification programs out there, I see, especially with a lot of newer businesses, they're building certification programs for different reasons. So for some, it's about hitting customer milestones. Um, So one example I can think of is uh, Procore, which is construction management software. They use role-based certification to onboard the different roles that work with their software and provide a badge to people who complete it. So for them, it's actually a way for them to monitor customer onboarding at a higher level of scale than just having their CSMs check in with customers continually. And it's something that people on their team can uh, distribute to other roles in their company to help get them onboard. Plus you get a badge. That's plus, pretty cool. Plus you get a badge. Who doesn't like badges? You like to share them on LinkedIn. Another example that I can think there is uh, HubSpot which I, I sound like I'm being facetious, but I'm not, people actually really do like sharing badges on LinkedIn. Um, but HubSpot is another example that I can think of where you know they've been in the business of creating a new category of software. Um, but at the same time, they've been creating a new category of professionals called inbound marketers because they're inbound marketing software. So their certification programs are just as much about helping people learn the discipline of inbound marketing as they are about testing your skills with the software. Um, my old company Checker, that's another good example, uh, We were not doing any sort of certification around using our software specifically, um, but we were building certification programs. uh, They they are still building certification programs to help HR and recruiting professionals to get the requisite knowledge and skills uh, to be able to do fair chance hiring and actually improve their hiring processes to make it more fair. That's really cool because in some way it seems like we're – The
1: the first blush that I have with certification, you think about everything. But it it really seems like what all of these examples typify is that we're niching down into, as Bill Cachard might say, you're niching down into a specific area and a specific cohort within your product. Like an administrator needs to know volumes more than an end user might.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for that reason, it's not just roles. It's also what format the uh, certification will take. Is it just a course? Is it an exam? Is it proctored? And we'll talk about some of those design considerations. But net-net, one thing that I find is if you say the word certification to a room of 20 people, you'll come out with about 56 different interpretations of what certification could mean. So it's really important to start getting specific about what certification is for your company. And that starts with defining what the business goal that you want to drive is. Exactly. So, So let's talk a little bit more about that.
1: It, you know, it's helpful to ask yourself for the leader who's sponsoring this certification initiative, and I'll step aside for for a moment to say that in almost every role I've had in customer education, someone has come up to me and said, and they're a C-level or an executive to some, you know, some level, some degree, say, where's the certification program? I really like a certification program. And I like to come back and say, well, what is the metric? What's that mean? metric for driving this? Why are we setting this up? What should we measure? What are the potential benefits behind that? So we're going to dive down into this a little bit more.
0: Yeah, because ultimately, even if ultimately it's going to have a lot of different uh, benefits to your business and a lot of different metrics that it'll be associated with, it's also going to help you prioritize what you build and in what order. Mm-hmm. so, you know, some examples here could be... Um, When you think about the impact, do you want to see fewer support tickets because users are more competent? Do you want to see more people whose job it is to use your software, getting certified to become more skilled and and become better advocates in the market? Do you want to ensure quicker and more sustained adoption of your product by getting customers certified? Do you want to see partners specifically, not even customers, but partners getting on board quickly to deliver services on your behalf? Each of those is going to inform what you create, how to develop it, how to deliver it, and how to price it. And you can see with some of the examples that we listed earlier, that everyone takes a different approach based on that that high-level business impact. But when you're thinking about the way to structure this program, think about three different metrics. Think about reach, revenue, and impact. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's like the, uh, do you want it done fast, cheap, or well? Are those the three? Yeah, fast, cheap, or well. Um, it's a, it's a triangle triangle of project management. And right. You probably, you probably learned that if you take your PMP certification, but you can't have all three of those at the same time. And the same thing is true about reach revenue and impact. Uh, you really have to decide where you're going to focus. Do you want the reach of getting, um, many, many people certified? Do you want to drive a lot of revenue from, uh, offering your certification programs and prep courses? Uh, or Mm -hmm. do you want to have an impact on some other external metric like customer adoption or support tickets or things like that?
1: Well, that's cool. And it, it also leads me to believe that once again, certification, that word is a sticky wicket, that it can mean a lot of things and what it's really going to mean to us and to what degree we're implementing it, what's the goal? What are you trying to, to reach? And I'll do a bridge here, what's your audience? So let's, uh, right. let's dive into that. Let's talk a little bit more about the audience. Our second hypothesis would be this. Your certification program will be very different depending on who's being certified, right? Just what I said, we have different cohorts, different personas. One of the most critical questions then for you to ask, dear listener, is who the heck are you certifying? And if you have multiple audiences, which ones are you going to start with? Just to your point, Adam, a moment ago, like how do we prioritize this? So it's helpful for you to get a clear understanding of who's most important to certify customers, partners, or internal pluri. Oh, <laughs> well, I can't talk today. Or your internal employees. We're going to do our vocal exercises next time. La, la, la.
0: <laughs> seashells by the seashore. All right. So you've got customers, partners, internal employees. I think three really good audiences that tend to get mixed Mm -hmm. up when uh, people talk about what the point of a certification program is. Customers and partners are pretty common use cases for customer education teams. see this all the time. And once you create them, you can often use them to get internal teams certified on your product as well or on whatever the skill is that you're certifying on. But usually that's a secondary audience. So a lot of the time mm-hmm. we'll see people build in the order of let's, let's build the most scalable version for customers. And then let's have something that's a little more, uh, intense for partners, but a little less scalable. And then let's have, you know, kind of the most control over how our internal folks are, are also getting certified, but you kind of want to pick which area you're, you're starting from.
1: Yeah, totally. And. One of the points we want to talk about here is priorities again. So first, you need to ask, what are those priorities? What, what do we need to deliver first? And I know at, at multiple different companies, and I think I've, I've been in this recently, someone comes up to me and says, hey, well, we want to cert- certify our team. Okay, well, that can mean something very different from me having to go to a partner and I'm not going to spoil what we're going to talk about really soon, but really engaging deeply with a system and a technology that that is there to tool up certification. But you can do something lighter weight internally when you have everybody at your disposal and they're 10 feet away. Um, So, you know, L&D teams, sales enablement teams create certification programs for employees that have that learning content. But we usually go further in those scenarios, right, because we're all here, we can do a demo, and then we can challenge people in that. Or we can have somebody do a pitch and improve their skills to us. And you know that involves a lot of other things, but it's less having a systemic approach that you would have through a system like Criterion or something like that. But it's more, I have everything here. I have everybody here. I can grade and coach and do what I need to do.
0: Yeah, so if you can get clarity at least on what the goal is and what the audience is, uh, then you can start to get a little more uh, visionary with your approach um, so you could potentially have a walking deck where you go back and you say hey here are three visions for what a certification program could look like um, in the next year here are three things that I could build which of these is uh, most compelling based on the goal and that will help you get a little more specific of the 56 things that certification could mean uh, which <laughs> one are we really running running towards to begin with and Exactly. even if your focus is on customers get clarity on which customer segment is priority and which user personas are the priority. Because for instance, if you wanna take a a cross section here of customer segment and user personas, an admin at a large enterprise is completely different from an end user at a small business or a mid-market company. Admins at large enterprises need way deeper skills. They're operating in a much more complex environment. And typically they're gonna be able to devote more time to getting higher levels of certification. And partners mm-hmm. are the same way, right? You might have some like system integrator partners that you work with very closely, and they're highly managed, and they have strong relationships with you in terms of co-selling or co-delivering services versus maybe having a really large distributed um, reseller network. They're going to require a different level of intensity and, and hands-on certification.
1: Right. Right. That's going to be a little, it's going to take a little bit of a different form because as you're onboarding and scaling those partners, uh, kind of like an internal employee, you have access to them, but you're really vested in making sure they're successful. I've seen engagements go south really quick because, Hey, I hired a partner. I didn't enable my partner. My partner screwed up. And guess what? Now I'm getting complaints from my customer through the part, you know, around the partner saying. Hey, the, these folks let us down. It happens, and it happens pretty frequently.
0: Yeah, and this is why it's so critical, in my opinion, to get clear on who you're certifying and what certification is going to drive. Because if the idea, for instance, is you know we're going to set up this very um, low-touch certification program, and we're just going to run these multiple-choice uh, questions, mm-hmm. and even if they're they're proctored on uh, Criterion or a platform like that. Uh, if the expectation is that by getting that certification, your partners are all going to be able to reliably bring in business and deliver 100% quality, well, that might not be a deep enough certification to meet that need. You might need to go back and reset expectations with your business about, hey, certification is a prerequisite for this. It's a way for those partners to get a foot in the door and to maintain their their partnership with you. They might need to have X many people or X percentage of their delivery resources certified. Right. But certification itself is not going to solve that problem. No. So in doing no, that, no. that kind of brings us to our, our next topic, which is actually setting the stakes. So pretty quickly, you're going to have to start asking the question, all right, well, if I know who I'm certifying and what certification is supposed to do, how am I actually going to certify these people? Um, what do they need to learn? How do they need to prove that they have the skills to pay the bills? So. This is kind of where you ask how rigorous your certification program needs to be. And is it high stakes Uh or low stakes? So this is where we're starting to get into a little bit more certification terminology. You can look up high stakes versus low stakes certification to see a little bit more about this. But but we'll 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 dive into it. So hypothesis number three here. This is one I hear a lot, Dave. I I don't know if you hear this, too, but I hear this, uh, too. Absolutely. They'll talk to people who run certification programs and they'll say the only way to run a certification program is by offering proctored exams that are developed by a psychometrician. And if you haven't heard the word psychometrician before, uh, look it up. It's basically a person who does assessments as their um, as their career. So they know how to write good questions. Wasn't
1: wasn't this Tim the Enchanter from um,
0: uh, Monty Python? Yeah, it's kind of like that. That's a psychomagician. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so the only so so yeah right like having a psychometrician whose job is to develop assessments and to determine whether questions are fair and whether they actually reflect the the job tasks so they'll, they'll go do a job task analysis for whoever's getting certified mm-hmm. um and then have a certificate delivered at the end a lot of people will say that is the only way to run a certification program if you're not doing all of those things don't call certification it's not certification and yeah Yeah.
1: What do you you think of that, Dave? I think, and again, part of what we're doing here with the C-Lab podcast and in general is trying to reshape or mold a lot of these terminologies that we've been using in the industry. And that industry is that more, I think John Lay would put it as an extended enterprise. It's a different modality of training. We're here to help ramp up companies and get them producing educational content quick. So for us, that's a traditional, and it's correctly so what you're saying, it, it can correctly be stated as the right way to do certification at high stakes level,
0: right? Yeah. But if we're, we're being we're if we're being prescriptivist, then then yeah, that is the quote unquote yeah. right way to do it. But if we're being descriptivist about it and actually describing how people are doing certifications out in the world, doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. hold up, does it?
1: No, not at all. And I think, okay, that's a tradition, traditional way to do it. If it were me, I know that has strong benefits. Actually, it's very rigorous. The the it's fair. It's routine. If somebody else can take of care of the the execution as well. Um, so, example for for an example, when you use a proctored exam platform, you know, like, like talking about Criterion is one that popped up during my search. Yeah.
0: Uh, to deliver, there are others out there. I know we keep saying Criterion. There's there's a bunch yeah. of other ones and out there. There's like yeah, Pearson, Yeah, and, and to be fair, oh, Metric, if you're yeah. listening.
1: It, yeah, to be fair, we're, we're not trying to single out. Let's just say whatever platform you're engaging with. Question mark, examity, the list goes on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y- y- you're going to use that to deliver, right? Deliver and for people to take them. You're usually going to be working with those psychometricians, those professionals, uh, a project manager to develop an exam that's rigorous. It's, it's going into testing the right things um, and that you're going to have exam security. This is super important, and and I'll let you get into some of the reasons why, but that's not quite intuitive. For those of us that have jumped into this field, this customer education, and some of you may be a customer success professional that's moved into this, you're not quite aware of all these things and where we're going with that. So, Adam, tell me a little bit more about what you've learned on this.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, with with exam security, a lot of people get hung up here because people start to get really paranoid once you have a certification certification assessment out there, that that assessment is is reliable and valid, right? And one of the mm-hmm. ways to kind of tank the reliability and validity of the certification that you're offering is by having the questions leak out onto the internet. So a lot of the platforms you'll see will offer some sort of proctoring, either on-site at a testing center or online via webcam, and some of them do all sorts of like uh, like knuckle detection or eyeball detection or things like that to, uh, to see... Whether you're, uh, you know, looking at someone else who's holding an answer key up uh, behind the screen or something like that, they can get pretty, yeah. pretty hefty. Um, but you know, that can be a fig leaf too. If we're being honest, like there are ways for people to cheat that system. There are ways for people to still leak questions onto the internet. But you do want to be as rigorous as possible in terms of making sure that if you're offering some sort of exam, people aren't just leaking those questions out. Um, but that's not all when it comes to developing an exam that's rigorous or, or developing one that's kind of uh, sound from a legal perspective, Mm -hmm. because when you think about where a lot of this comes from, a lot of the received wisdom around certification in our industry comes from one of two places. It either comes from the world of professional accreditation. So like the PMP, which is again, saying I can go out in the industry and be a project manager or from these highly technical software certifications uh, where, again, it's it's almost like a license to use that software. So right. by default, they're starting from a very heavyweight, very secure place. Um, but a lot of the legal risk around certification, part of what I've learned, is it doesn't necessarily come from exam security. It actually comes from the fairness of the question. So let me, let me get into that for, for a moment. Cool. If you're getting a professional certification to become a project manager, you're taking the PMP There's an entire organization called uh, PMI, Project Management Institute, I believe, whose job it is to educate, test, and credential project managers. And so it's essential for them to know that anyone taking their certification and going out in the market to say they're certified really has proven mastery. They really can do what they they said they could do on the test because if the test isn't measuring anything, why did you take the test? (laughs) Exactly. So they want to make sure that the questions are written as fairly as possible because the legal risk for them is that, and if you work at PMI, and and this is wrong, please just write me. I would love to hear that I'm wrong. But unfortunately, the the reality of the world is that the the legal risk is that if the questions are biased against people in protected classes, for instance, PMI has to be able to say, well, hey, we um, interviewed people who are actually project managers. We know what their job task analysis is. We wrote the questions in a way uh, that is sound and fair for anyone who aspires to be. A project manager. And so they have to do that for legal reasons to really make sure that, that, again, that that test is accessible and reliable to the people who are trying to pass it. And if they don't do that, then they might get sued by people who fail the exam or who can't get jobs in that field.
1: Right. And that's something that I think coming into this, and I know personally coming into this, I hadn't even given thought to, wow, there's legal implications for me saying there's certification. That's why I usually throw up a, a red flag to anybody that mentions the word because there's financial implications, there's legal implications to you using a word. And it's super important for you to know.
0: Yeah, but it's not like the word itself is a is a curse, right? It's not like you mutter no. it and then Beetlejuice pops out of the... Uh, out of the floorboards or something like <laughs> Three that. Times. Right? Like, Three times. Three times. <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who are using the word certification, but they're, they're setting the correct expectations with their customer about what it is that they're actually receiving yeah. when they get certified, so to speak. You,
1: you know, something I'd like to talk about, and I've got a couple little sidebar stories here, but I'll, I'll try to stay on point. If your certification is high stakes and there is a risk of people not getting jobs because they're not certified, then everything, then doing everything we talked about earlier is extremely important. And, and it could also be a good idea to go with high stakes cert where there's a meaningful risk, right? And a risk of using your product improperly. So one of the examples that I can give from practical personal experience, I used to work at a pharmaceutical plant. And I was a chemist in a laboratory. However, when that plant would go on strike, they called upon all of us to do the tasks that those individuals would be doing. One of them was a forklift driver, which I got assigned to. So believe it or not, I had been a certified forklift driver (laughs) of all things. But that was super hard. And it's super hard. It's a great sort of and it's super hard. I I can't tell you enough that Uh, That machine, the machinery there is very dangerous. It's dangerous because it's top heavy, it's imbalanced, it's designed to do a certain job. And just prior to taking this training, there was an incident in our facility where a gentleman was, for whatever reason, riding on a load on the blades, and it slipped and fell and it crushed and he died. Um, And that, you know, everybody that had taken that sort of, uh, taken that training should have known better. And I think it was a case where somebody didn't, where they needed a refresher. So these kind of things are super important to know. There's a lot of risk. I could flip it over and I could die. I mean, maybe you're operating a train and you're a train engineer. You need to go through a lot more. So certification is very meaningful. There is a, 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 you know, you're doing bodily harm. Here for us, that kind of criticality translates to, maybe an administrator or a developer and you're working on a detailed configuration of an application that if you don't get it right guess what, your records to Salesforce integration through your product might not go over correctly and then your business is affected. That's not bodily harm, but that could be uh, you you could lose your job over something like that if something really went
0: awry. Like Workday is a good example of that, right? You have to be Workday certified to get a certain level of access to that platform because you're dealing with people's personally uh, identifiable information. Absolutely. And we talk about this because these are some lessons we've
1: learned that there's risk. There's inherent risk in certification. And we want you, as you're following this journey with us, to step along and be cognizant of those risks as you're going in. So you know, risk is there. We want to help people learn. We're trying to keep them from losing their jobs. We want to help them get good jobs. We want to be fair. There's all kinds of things into that.
0: Yeah, and and to that point of getting jobs, like part of the question that you have to ask is, is this a job market that already exists and we have to help gatekeep that job market to make sure that the people who are doing it are doing correctly? Or is this an area where we're trying to create demand and create uh, a job market, sort of like the HubSpot example? And that's gonna have very different implications, again, for how you set up your program. But I I think it's not enough to say, you know, if the the CEO comes and says, hey, we need a certification program because we want, there to be a huge network of professionals using Product X, but Product X doesn't have a huge network of people even using it semi-competently today. While a certification program isn't necessarily going to, to fix that, um, you might want to start with some more traditional customer education modalities.
1: Exactly. So, so you're saying there's different levels or there's, there, there's different weighting we could apply to the term. So you could have really low stakes, lightweight cert, all the way up to that um, proctored, proctored exam where you're going to go to a facility and they're going to test you and you're going to do an oral review and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I say it's like dating a lot of the time. I think <laughs> I say this in my book, this is my certification section in the book is is it's like uh, there's a difference between in a relationship when you're just like talking to someone quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, when you're actually, uh, you know, putting a ring on it and it's true in certification <laughs> too, right? It's, it's not that those are all, um, Uh, that there's one right way to do it or one right level of commitment, but uh, you have to find the right level of commitment uh, relative to the relationship that you want to have or the certification that you want to have. So you described it as an onion. I describe it as a relationship.
1: I like the relationship better. Get away Mm -hmm. from the Shrek
0: motif. (laughs) But, you know, so so to that point, though, like when we're thinking about what certification means in the industry, it has expanded as a term. um, If we're being descriptive, not prescriptive about it, it, it really spans everything from these very formal professional accreditations, so I would describe that as like marriage, to the lighter weight onboarding tools, which would be more like talking to or dating. And, and sometimes yeah. companies don't offer proctored tests. They do what's called an assessment-based certificate or ABCs, which mm-hmm. that's usually a, certif- a certificate that gets awarded for attending a class and passing an unproctored test at the end. And those can still be called certifications, just depending on what your risk tolerance is and how you're willing to market a program like that. Others will have different tiers in their certification program where the lower end is something like micro badges that you earn. So uh, Salesforce Trailhead, this is a really good example of that. You go through a course, you get a micro badge, but you're not getting like a full certification. But then on the higher end, is something like a formal certification program that people who are really uh professionals or partners in this field they're they're getting that point is don't assume that you need to develop the most rigorous program from day one if there's not a need for you to do it and i can actually recommend um another podcast called leading learning which is basically for uh, people who are in the business of lifelong lifelong learning so a lot of professional associations and a lot of the content that they have is you know, really, um, akin to the content that we have as well, even though they're, they're talking about it, not from a customer education perspective, they're talking about it from a learning business perspective. I would highly recommend that anyone who listens to our podcast also, uh, pick a few episodes out of that one. If, especially if you're yeah. thinking about certifications.
1: Yeah. If you're going to look that up, it's leadinglearning.com pretty easy. Yeah.
0: Also on your, pod your podcatcher of your choice. choice. Hey, and while you're doing that, maybe leave us a five-star review on, uh, on Apple podcasts.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. If, if you've been listening, and we see a lot of you listening on a regular basis each every other week that we launch, uh, go into the Apple Store, go into Spotify, go into wherever you catch your pods and uh, give us some love. Uh, help share this podcast with everybody
0: you know. So That sounded like we were ending the, the podcast, but we actually aren't. We have more. Not really. Not really. We're going to do a lightning round. What do you feel about that? Let's do a lightning
1: round. Do a lightning round. Okay. Let's say, Adam you're writing questions for your certification. Now we know, well we know, this is the hardest thing quite often to do because you're going to have a group of SMEs, subject adder, matter ugh, can't talk. We're going to have a group of SMEs, subject matter experts, just sages from, you know, sitting down, writing questions, thinking about this, and just because they're skilled in their jobs doesn't mean they're good at writing fair Challenging questions for your subjects. So,
0: let's get into that. Let's peel that apart. Yeah, people write all sorts of crazy questions. And and before we dive into the lightning round, let's break down the different parts of a question. So we'll do anatomy of a question for a moment. So okay. in 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 most questions, you'll have first of all the stem, which is the prompt of the question. And uh, I don't want to take the wind out of my sails when uh, I do the next <laughs> instructional design 101, and we'll do Bloom's taxonomy, but. In the stem, you can basically be testing different things. You can be testing basic knowledge, so uh, which of the following is a feature available in product X, or you can be doing something that is a little more sophisticated, like a more complex scenario. So then you have your answer options and you have your correct answer, but the incorrect answers are called distractors. So if you hear us say distractor, we're talking about the answers that are not correct and that distract you from Mm -hmm. the correct answer. Each of these combines to make a great question but we just wanted to cover them before diving into the lightning round, so you'll be familiar with the terms as we uh, as we move quickly.
1: Cool. Are we ready? Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Let's list out some good tips for writing assessment questions in a quick back and forth lightning round.
0: So let, let's go, Adam. Ready, set, go. Okay. This. Cool. All right. First of all, make sure every option is valid. So that means even if you're writing distractors, don't write joke answers. So you can't have like D Bart Simpson. Okay. Cool. Don't write distractors that are as valid as the correct answer. That's just confusing. Yeah, good one. Okay, write complete sentences in your stem. Don't just say you should colon and then have four answers because there, there's no context for that uh, if you're just listing out options. Well, that's a good one. Also, don't make the correct answer
1: noticeably longer than the distractors. This is this is actually harder than it looks. It's a dead giveaway because really good, well-trained test takers look at the the lengths and and a good psychometrician is going to say you should
0: keep them all about the same length. That's true. Okay. Ask one question at a time. So don't write what's called a double-barreled question in the stem where you're asking multiple questions at once because otherwise people are not going to know what the correct answer is. Excellent. And stick to one item per answer, especially if
1: you are including ranges like Option A is 1 to 2, B is 2 to 3,
0: blah, blah, blah. Those overlap. Yeah, so you're not going to know which one to answer. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Avoid writing question stems with negatives in them. So which of the following is not true? And especially avoid answers with double negatives. So if you're saying which of the following is not true, and then option B is uh, do not do this, that's super confusing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And similar confusing, confusing um, or maybe easy to detect the correct answer, avoid using absolutes, such as always, never, etc. in distractors.
0: Uh, like I said, they're usually a dead giveaway that they're wrong. All right. Last one of the lightning round. If you're using multiple select questions, so ones where there's more than one correct answer, uh, indicate that in the stem people don't think to select more than one answer unless you tell them to. So say, uh, which, which oh, two yeah. of the following options are correct. And if you want more, uh, great advice like this, um, Peter Mangiak, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, has uh, written about these for a certification magazine and for Sedma. Um, and so you can look up tips for writing great certification questions. Well, we can link it as well. Um, and you can see some of those great tips as well as, uh, others. Well, that's fabulous.
1: And and I wanted to add one more note as I was looking through all of these or we're thinking through all of these, Adam, something you particularly, again, if you're coming in from an area that wasn't learning and development or education, I would recommend strongly that you should start taking these question building tips into consideration now, because as you go and you expand your program, if you're building good questions from uh, sets from the get go, guess what? When you go to do certification style questions, that experience is going to translate. doesn't mean you have to be perfect. You should aspire to really good questions.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And start setting expectations with your business too, about how long good questions take to write. Because if you go through this with a 10 question exam, for instance, that's just part of your onboarding and the people who are writing the questions, the subject matter experts, see how long it takes just to write 10 really good, valid questions. You're starting to build awareness around what it's going to take if you're building a, an 80-question certification exam.
1: Yeah, it will take a long time. Yeah.
0: That was a good lightning round, Dave. I'm exhausted.
1: That was fun. Uh, yeah. Well, now that you're exhausted, I'm exhausted. Let's, uh, let's continue this conversation. Uh, with our next podcast. There's a lot more to talk about, as we know, when it comes to certification. And we're going to have with our next podcast uh, an interview with somebody who has been a practitioner who's been through all these things just recently. But for now, if you want to learn more, of course, we have our podcast website at customer.education. That's just customer.education. Got a fancy domain, and you can find all of our content there and links to all the shows. Now on Twitter,
0: I am at Dave Darrington. I'm at Averbescu. Special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. And if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice: uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever it is or leaving us a review please 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 leave us reviews it helps us a ton this is a labor of love so please uh, show us some love if you can Uh, those two things really help expose our podcast to other people
1: all right and that brings us to the end another great podcast and to our audience thanks for joining us go out educate experiment and find your people thanks for listening